Let's go. 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 Let's Hello, welcome to episode number two of NBA University. I'm Michael. And I'm Zach. And we are two cousins covering the um, college basketball and the NBA, a little bit of overseas as well um, as draft approaches, but uh, mainly breaking down um, sort of what's going on in the basketball world. Um, shout out to DJ Zenus for um, the intro music and outro music. Um, check him out on Spotify iTunes, all that good stuff. All right, so we're going to start by recapping the ACC Big Ten Challenge that we uh, we kicked off last week. And hopefully the six of you that listened uh, definitely didn't take our picks because it was rough. But if you just did bet on the fact that it was going to be a 7-7 tie between the ACC and Big Ten. You probably would have won a little bit of money. Michael and I are pretty close to predicting that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, all the games were really good. We said that was going to happen. Uh, all the players that we said were good performed pretty well. So at least we kind of got some stuff right. But um, overall, I mean, there was good basketball, some pretty solid upsets uh, that, that I definitely didn't see coming. But um, – I still think that the two best conferences in the country showed that they were definitely the best conferences in the country. Yeah, for sure. There was um, some shocking games in there, but definitely not shocking um, ways that the guys played. I think they overall the ACC Big Ten really showed out this weekend or weekend Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they played really well. There's a lot of entertaining games. I think I was most shocked with Rutgers beating Miami. Um, but a lot of good games for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I said it a bunch of times, but I think the the number one thing to hang your hat on in college basketball is there's a massive uh, home court advantage. And if you look on Tuesday, every single team that won was playing on their home court. Um, and Wednesday kind of the opposite happened but uh i mean they split three and three but still or four and two but still uh like tuesday teams that are losing like virginia tech uh to penn state which we'll talk about a little bit but that's a game on the road michigan state loses to louisville on the road so some some of the upsets had a lot to do with home court advantage but uh i think the acc to me proved that they're a little bit deeper than i thought just because some of the teams that won, like Louisville, I was not expecting that at all. And, like, NC State gave Wisconsin a heck of a game. Pittsburgh gave Iowa a heck of a game. Um, so so those type of teams definitely impressed me. But I still think the cream of the crop was pretty solid between, like, Duke, Michigan. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I just Duke and Michigan looked really, really, really good. 
Yeah, those those two teams sort of separated themselves. I think um, Virginia was really solid in a tough environment yep. with Maryland playing very well. Um, I think we kind of nailed having Bruno and Jalen being the leading force behind Maryland. Um, the main reason be, being that they stayed in the game. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the, the top teams in the ACC, um, they look like they're going to – and go pretty far in the tournament coming up. Yeah, and being at that Virginia Maryland game, that was the first time I've ever been in the arena with a like a really solid defensive team playing Maryland. I mean, Maryland scored seventy one points, which I would never have ever said. I thought they were going to be lucky to break sixty, but uh, it is the most frustrating thing in the world to play against a team that's that good defensively. Like, no matter what you do, you just feel like you don't have a chance. It's really <laughs> annoying. But they put up 71, which is impressive against Virginia's defense. I know, and I, they didn't make shots, so I'm not really sure how they did it. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. I would have guessed we scored 60, but um, it's – like, especially in college, to have your college athletes be that good and that committed to defense is just mind-boggling to me. Like, I've seen good defensive teams, but this is a whole different level of defense. Yeah, I mean – what was it like seeing DeAndre Hunter up up close and personal? Well, first of all, he's so much bigger than he looks on TV. Like when he walked out, I was like, "That's there's no way that's him. <laughs> like it has to be somebody else." And they all come out in cutoffs, and he's just yoked and tall, and it's like, "Wow, how are we supposed to do anything with that?" But he he doesn't like he kind of has Kevin Herter syndrome in the NBA where he doesn't really assert himself enough. I don't think like he could have dominated that game. He had Jalen Smith covering him the whole game. And I think he could have just caught the ball on the wing and pretty much gone by him whenever he wanted to. But also when you have Kyle guy and Ty Jerome that are unconscious from three point one, you don't really have to do anything, I guess. So I guess I'll chalk it up to that, but I would like to see a little bit more offensively from him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially since he's developed an outside jumper. And it's going in a lot more than it has in the past. Um, if you really could work on that, I think he can be um, sort of an upgrade from OG and Nobi um, as far as an NBA comparison. Yeah, so you want to get right into our, our college teams this week then? Yeah, let's just jump right into it. This week we're going to finish up the ACC um, we're obviously going to not gonna cover every ACC team, so we're just going to cover five today. Um, the five teams we're covering, um, Duke, UNC, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Um, since Zach's a Duke fan, we will leave them for last. Um, I think it, it just Let's get the crappy sense. teams out of the way first. Well... <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's just – so Virginia Tech, your favorite? <laughs> Virginia Tech broke my heart last week. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a tough loss, but I think Penn State's going to surprise some people, including us. Um, they, they've, they're they going to put up a good, solid year, definitely be a bubble team, sort of going into the tournament, I think. Yeah, I mean, I got to see Penn State on uh, Saturday, I think it was. Played Maryland. Um Lamar Stevens is really, 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 really good, but they don't have a ton beyond him. So, I mean, they definitely cause a lot of problems for people. Um, but I just 
I did not expect them to give Virginia Tech so many problems. Uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker did not have the impact I thought he would have had against them. Uh, Shea Gildish Alexander's cousin, which we will talk about a little bit later on as a teaser for you. But uh, yeah, between him and Justin Robinson, that's like a crazy solid duo in college basketball. And they, Justin played pretty good, but uh, I just thought they were a lot better than Penn State, and that did not turn out to result in a win. They only scored 62 points, and Penn State crushed them in the paint, which is always going to be a problem for Virginia Tech. Um, their fun fact, their big guy, Kerry Blackshear, who is uh, Wayne Blackshear's, I don't know if it's his brother or cousin, but there's some relation there, who used to play for Louisville. Um, he, I think like a couple years ago, had a bone growing out of his foot and he got it cut off but now he's afraid to put his it's his left foot he's afraid to put his whole foot on the ground so he literally stands on his left toe and his right foot is flat on the ground he, seriously watch it because once I learned that I couldn't stop looking at his left foot <laughs> but um, that's just a weird fact but yeah they're always they don't have any size really other than him and even he likes to be kind of a perimeter type player more so than in the paint. So they're all all uh, all perimeter oriented. Um, I think that's going to be a major downfall for them because they obviously there's games where you're going to shoot it poorly, and I think that kind of happened to them against Penn State. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they really struggle um, playing down low. I mean they. They give up a ton of offensive rebounds. Um, they really can't get to the paint and score. Uh, they don't get to the free throw line at all. They're ranked 346th um, in their percentage of points scored from free throws. Um, so they're they're really reliant on on the three point line, which is. As Charles Barkley also say, you um, you can't win as a jump shooting team. So um, don't listen to whatever he says, but in this case, he's got a point. Yeah, I mean, they came back and absolutely demolished Central Connecticut, ninety-four to forty. Um, Whoop de It's pretty crazy, but I mean, that's what they're gonna do. It's gonna beat the teams they're supposed to. Um, the bad teams, and then when they have competition, uh, I think they're going to struggle, especially teams that are bigger. Yeah, I mean, they only they only play seven guys, so that can kind of hurt. And, like, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Justin Robinson and most of the time at Med Hill are pretty much going to play 38, 39, 40 minutes. So you got – and even if Kerry Blackshear doesn't get foul trouble, he probably play in at least 35 minutes. So you're going to pretty much watch four guys – uh, and then they're going to rotate that fifth guy. In the game against Penn State, they had five players play over 32 minutes, which is absolutely unheard of in college basketball. Um, so, I mean, they have plenty of talent, but they're, uh, they're missing significant stuff. So, like, in the Penn State game, uh, Penn State, who's not a big team at all, and not even that great of a defensive team, they're not bad, but... Penn State out-rebounded them 36-29, to got 14 offensive rebounds, and that pretty much did it. Um, they got a lot of second-chance opportunities out of that. And Virginia Tech also is a type of team that is more isolation-based. Um, they'll move it a little bit. It's not like a, uh, 
bounce the down the air out of the ball. But I mean, between their two stars, if those guys aren't going to score, they're in for a very long game. Yeah, for sure. And I think an interesting sort of stat um, is their two foul participation. So basically, what that means is if a player on the team gets two fouls in the first half, how much of the remaining minutes in the half do they play? Um, and for Virginia Tech, it's zero. So they play 0% of the remaining minutes available, um, which means if they get two fouls, they're coming out immediately. And with a short bench, um, that could cause a lot, a lot of problems for them, especially in the tournament. You play, maybe they come in as a 7-8 seed. Um, they're playing a team just as good as they are. They get two fouls early on Blackshear. I mean, it's going to be a long game for them. Yeah, that's. I mean, that two uh, two foul participation has been a hot topic uh, in in college basketball recently, and it has a lot to do with coaching. I mean, you're going to get coaches like Buzz Williams that just refuse to play someone with two fouls, and I've heard a lot of people refer to it as fouling someone out in the first half. Uh, and then you're going to get coaches that you get two fouls, so what? You're still playing. You just have to figure out how to not foul. I, I'm more of a type of person that. You, if you should be able to not foul. Like you should be smart enough to play with two fouls. I think that's just. I don't even know if that's a skill. I think that's just kind of common sense a little bit. But uh, in the in a team with seven with seven players, where honestly th- three and a half of them are like really solid, it's one of those guys going down is like massive for them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's going to be. Definitely their Achilles heel. Um, and it's funny, the t- of the teams recovering in the ECC, they're either a team like Virginia Tech where they don't let, like them playing if they have two fouls, um, or it's a team like UNC where they're basically going to play the rest of the half. Yep. <laughs> um, so definitely the ECC has a lot of different, different coaching styles um, from Roy Williams to Buzz Williams. They're two very, very different coaches. Um, not saying one's better than the other, um, but I agree with you. I think they should be trusted enough to, to go out there and play, especially when you got a short bench. Um, but, I mean, other things that they do well, um, they're very good shooting, shooting team percentage-wise. Um, so, I mean, they're shooting almost 43% from three, um, which is really impressive at the rate that they shoot it. Um, and they turn the ball, they turn the team over that they're playing. So they're, of let's say they defend for 100 possessions, they're turning the ball over 31 times, or getting the other team to de- turn the ball over th- um, 20, 28 times. Sorry, jeez, long day. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's our version of a turnover. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have our own blooper right here. Um, I'll be the best part. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, they, they get the other team. They force turnovers. They get them playing fast. Um, Unfortunately, they turn over a little bit, too. Like, if you look at the Penn State game, they had nine assists to 15 turnovers. And with such a senior, uh, grown-up type of team, you just really wouldn't expect that at all. Yeah. I think they try to do too much. They're, they know what they can, they're capable of. So, on offense, they push it a little too much. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting as a team that 
shoots a lot of threes. They're very half court oriented. Yeah. Um, usually, you think of teams like um, like Golden State Warriors to to have an NBA team. They they like to get up and down, um, play at a quick pace. Houston Rockets they play at quick pace and they shoot a lot of threes. But Virginia Tech sort of slows it down to try to get get the best three that they can, um, which I find pretty interesting. All right, so so I can stop thinking about them losing to Penn State. Who we got next? Let's uh let's move on to Florida State. All right, so another team that's similar to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech should finish like within the top six, I'd say, in the ACC because they have a great home court and they're just seniors or experienced team and they're solid. But I think Florida State's a little bit better, kind of along the same lines. They do return a fair amount of people also. Uh, from a really good team last year that honestly could have made the Final Four, uh, losing to Michigan in the Elite Eight. But, um, I mean, they they still have all those 7-4 guys that they always freaking have, of course, uh, plus just, the, just a bunch of really athletic, really tough guys. Um, last year, they kind of – they shoot a lot of threes. Uh, at least they did last year, and they're kind of doing it again this year. And none of them are really – great shooters i mean they have a couple decent shooters but like the ones that are shooting a lot of shots are not their greatest shooters um so that's always been their downfall but like they beat purdue that's a really nice win uh they i honestly had the game in hand pretty much they're up 12 at halftime and only won the game by one so they really let purdue back in it uh actually had to hit a game-winning little floater in the last couple minutes or a couple seconds but um yeah, they're they're always going to be a good defensive team. That's just the way Leonard Hamilton is. They're always going to play a ton of players, um, and they're they're just going to make it tough on you. Uh, Terrence Mann's still there from last year. He's like their their solid leader type of guy. Um, and then they're they're going to need to find some scoring between PJ Savoy and MJ Walker. Probably their two best offensive threats. Trent Forrest is pretty solid too, but. Uh, like Savoy is going to shoot it probably the most every game. So he's got to start hitting some of these if they're going to live up to their expectations. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're always going to be, like you said, always going to be a great defensive team um, playing mostly man. They're just going to play one-on-one defense and just stop you because of their length and size and strength. Um, but they, they do have some really, really terrible three-point shooters. Um, <laughs> before tonight's game, which we're recording on uh, Monday, December 3rd, um, Nichols is shooting 17%, Gray is 20%, Forrest 14%. Um, and how do you say the big man's name? Kumaji or the other one, Kevin Gelly? Kevin Gelly, that's right. Um, he's shooting the best out of those. I grew up at 20, yeah, he's 29%. The, he, hit a, he hit a game winner against uh, LSU in the corner in overtime. I've never seen a dude shoot a jump shot in my whole entire life, and I've watched him play probably like 20 games. Yeah, I mean, he's taken seven threes um, through seven games. So he's averaging a three a game, um, which is interesting because I don't think he shot a three before, <laughs> or at least a, a three that wasn't a buzzer beater. Um, yeah, no, he just – he's getting his confidence up now and he's firing away. But they're they're a team that doesn't understand how to 
I don't know if it's they don't understand how to get good shots or they don't understand what a good shot is because, like, you'll watch the game and nobody will be hot and someone will just dribble down and pull up from, like, 28 feet. You just think, like, what are you doing? Like, why? What is the whole point of that? Like, against Purdue, they shot it decently in the first half, played great defense. Like, they dominated the first half. And then all of a sudden it was like, who's going to shoot the first shot that they get to look at? It's like, whoever sees the rim first, the ball's going up. And then Purdue comes all the way back and has a chance to win the game. So that they don't ever get like I every time I watch, especially when they play Duke, every time I watch them play, I just always think to myself, like, if this team could get good shots, they'd win every single game they play. But they just never, ever take good shots. Yeah, it's, I think that speaks to their discipline because they turn the ball over a ton as well. And a bad shot is a turnover. So, I mean, that increases even more. Especially when it's a long three because that's a long rebound. And see you right. later. Yeah. Um, so, I think if if they're ever able to sort of corral that and take care of the ball but still defend the way they do. Um, because, I mean, they play at a relatively even pace. They don't play fast. They don't play slow. Um, they're quick, kind of average there. So it's not like they're trying to play quick and turn, have careless turnovers. It's They're just struggling in the half court, um, turning the ball over, just making bad bad decisions. And if they sort of change that, I think they could turn into a really, really good, good team, a top three ACC team, I think for sure. Yeah, I still think right now they're fourth or fifth. Probably I'd say fourth in the ACC behind the the clear-cut top three. Um, but, I mean, like, that's a, it's a tournament team for sure. It's just a matter of what seed they would get. Uh, they should be a top five seed if everything goes the way it's supposed to be going. Yeah, yeah, I don't see them going lower than a five seed. I think them being at nine last year was kind of um, – they should have been pretty high, uh, should have been higher. They had a kind of average season, but still thought they had the talent and obviously showed it by getting to the Elite Eight. Um, but yeah, this team's got a lot of potential. Uh, and if they um, keep getting the free throw line the way they do, keep knocking them down at a high rate and turning teams over while being a little more disciplined, um, I, I like this team to go pretty far. Do you want to transition to Virginia? Yeah, we can save the ugly blue school for the next one, I suppose. No, I, thought, All right, so, I thought we were doing Duke last. Haha, funny. <laughs> Somebody's worse than that. But anyways, we'll get to that in a minute. I'll save my save my fire for that one. Um, yeah, so Virginia, Virginia, like I said earlier, uh, the way they play defense just makes it impossible, honestly. Um, I don't know how Maryland scored 71 points. I swear to God, I thought the score was printed wrong at the end of the game after watching literally every single play. Um, there's, I just still don't believe it like I, at all. Maryland shot made seven threes and somehow scored 71 points. But uh, that pack line defense – well, here, I'll give you my first impression. When I, when I first saw the Virginia players walk into the, onto the court – I said there's no way this team's top four. Like, no way ever. I would never bet it ever. It was DeAndre Hunter and then a whole bunch of just dudes that look like you play at the YMCA. So I was thinking to myself, how? And then I watched, like, the first five minutes of the game, and I was like, oh, my God. This is the most frustrating team to play. Nobody can get through. the. You literally cannot get the ball 
inside the three-point line unless you pass it. And as soon as you pass it to the block, it's an automatic double team, which is just incredible because usually when you have a double team, someone's open. But with Virginia, nobody's open. I don't know how they do it. I swear somebody comes off the bench and they have six guys. <laughs> like Bruno was getting doubled, and they, there was not a single lane to pass the ball through. It's not like there was just an open shooter and we just couldn't pass it to him. It was like there was nowhere to go with the ball while you're being doubled. So, like, seeing that tells me they can play any game ever against any team. They should not have a problem competing. Um, they were awesome from the three-point line. And Kyle Guy, I think, I want to say, hit five threes in the first half. Like, didn't even make the freaking net jiggle, which is so frustrating. But uh, So then that was basically the way they play now with their this point guard. Uh, Clark is his last name. I can't think of his first name off the top of my head. But uh, he pretty much appreciates everything. And then they have Ty Jerome and uh, Kyle Guy run off screens. Honestly, kind of like the Warriors with Clay and Steph. Like, it's just constant motion. Kyle Guy reminds me so much of J.J. Redick. It's unbelievable. He just sprints around screens around the three-point line and makes you want to never guard him ever. That's a um, great comparison. Yeah, he's not as good as him, trust me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so so having this, this new point guard uh, really helps them offensively because obviously Virginia's always had a problem scoring in the last couple of years. But if you look at their games now, like they're consistently scoring in the 60s, uh, sometimes even 70s, the only – time that didn't happen was when they played Wisconsin, which I thought the game would have been 35 to 33 final score, but it was 53, 46. Um, they have a lot of good, like they've, they've beaten Dayton, uh, Wisconsin and Maryland so far. So they have good wins. Uh, I think the way that they play, they definitely are remembering that UMBC game last year and have a whole lot to say about that come March. But, uh, I don't think this is your usual Virginia team because I think they are so solid offensively this year with two really good shooters, a true point guard, and then just a stud in DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, uh, this team is very good. Um, they're holding teams to under 90 points per 100 possession, which is insane. Um, they rank second in the country. And they have just everyone shoots a solid percentage offensively. Um, the worst two-point percentage shooter is Braxton Key, um, which, I mean, he's still shooting 38% from two and then shooting 33% from three. Outside of him, everyone's over 45% from two and 40% from three, um, which is pretty crazy. Um I mean, offensively, they're so efficient. They don't need to score a lot of points because they score because they hold teams so to so low points. I mean, outside of Maryland, no one has scored over sixty. Um, and just they, I mean, they have everything that a national champion should have. Uh, and I mean, right now they're my national championship pick for sure. I don't. I think they're. I think head and shoulders above the next team, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, when we played them, we we were down – at one point we were down nine, and we might as well have been down 50 is what it felt like. Like nine points against them. Two possessions against them feels like about 10. So to put multiple possessions together where you score is hard enough, but to put multiple possessions together where you score and stop them from scoring is nearly impossible. 
Um, they one thing I thought was just so impressive in a college basketball game was they had two turnovers against Maryland, two, and one of them was by a guy that played ten minutes and is their backup center. So basically, by people that play, people that played, they only had one turnover. And Maryland isn't a bad defensive team. Like Maryland's a pretty solid defensive team. So one turnover is just like I don't know how that happened. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing how efficient they are offensively. Um, but to stop tooting their horn too much, I mean, they, they do they do struggle with certain things, and it's getting to the free throw line. Um, they, I mean, they only score fifteen percent of their points from the free throw line, um, which is really low. And if they're not, if let's say Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome aren't hitting the way they normally do, they're not scoring that many points. And so that's sort of where a team can come in and take advantage of. Like, if you're an opposing team, you got to avoid sort of playing one-on-one. Uh, you really need to play a team style of basketball, move the ball quick. Um, don't want the ball touch the floor too much because they, they thrive on when someone tries to get one-on-one because you're not getting by that whole team. Um, and I think they their front court is pretty soft. Um, not like physically soft because Jack Salt will <laughs> he's huge. <laughs> yeah, will dominate one physically, that. but um, as far as as a as a unit, they're not. not that's sort of their weak point. Uh, I think if you can get a team like Wisconsin, I mean they lo- they only lost by seven <laughs> with a guy like Ethan Hap and slow down Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. Uh, I think. The team would have a real good shot if they could use their big man, um, sort of as a focal point in the offense. Yeah, I felt like I'm about this is about to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I feel like I kind of could find a blueprint to beat them. Where like that sounds so horrible because that's Tony Bennett in Virginia. Like I probably can't find a blueprint, but uh, I mean, I really think you have to run in transition as much as you possibly can. I know that there you might turn it over more and you might take some bad shots, but the faster you can make Virginia play, I think the better chance you have. I think that's something Maryland did not take advantage of at all, uh, except for one player in particular, Daryl Marcel. And every time he did it, he actually scored. So to get out and run, not let them get set, especially in help side, is huge because um, that's really the only time you can get in the paint off the bounce. And also there, that point guard I've been talking about, Kahi, Kahi Clark, um, he's not a great shooter yet actually struggles quite a bit uh at least he did against maryland and it definitely looked like he wasn't a great shooter and i think if you if you go underneath his screen and you just help off him as much as possible uh and then just gang rebound like there's no tomorrow i think you actually have a decent chance to beat him you obviously have to play well offensively you got to make shots somehow um if you have a bad shooting day i don't think you can beat virginia but it's not like they're this unbeatable force. There's plenty of teams in the country I think that could beat them. It's just they make you play so close to perfection every single time that it's tough to do in college. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you really have to get the easy buckets when you can get them. Um, play smart, transition, slow down the game. Uh, I know they're they're averaging 19 seconds of possession, um, which is crazy slow. Um, but if you keep it up with that, take Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome out of the game, um, you really have a shot in playing inside out. Um, 
they're definitely up, they're not unbeatable. Um, but it's gonna take a special night to beat them. So, I think that's enough by enough on Virginia. They're just a yeah. It's more than I ever wanted to say about a team that I hope Duke beats. Yeah, they're a crazy good team, but um, definitely can be beaten and will be beaten this year. Um, just I don't think so in the tournament. Um, but before we get to Duke and UNC, we're just going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. All right, now we're getting into the one of the best rivalries in college sports. We're going to cover UNC first and then get to the dreaded Duke team. Um, UNC had an ugly, ugly loss against Michigan. Yeah, absolutely manhandled all game. Uh, it's probably going to be the worst loss of the season. I didn't see any. There was very few positives to take out of that game. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, they only lost by 17, but that scores a lot closer than it was at any point in that game. Uh, I mean, I guess Michigan's only up by four at halftime, but the second half, North Carolina didn't have a shot at all. Like, they... In fairness, Michigan to me right now looks like possibly the best team in the country. Um, the way they played against UNC, the way they played against Villanova, just the wins they have and the way they're doing it is very impressive. But we'll save that for a later date. Uh, UNC coming into the year, I thought was going to be a really good basketball team, returning a lot of talent, a lot of experience. Uh, Cameron Johnson, who transferred from Pitt two years ago, I thought was one of the most underrated players in the ACC. Um, just a really, really, really solid wing that can make a lot of shots. And then they have Kenny Williams who can go unconscious from the field or he can take four shots like he did against Texas and score two points. So that's a problem for them. They have Luke May who's supposed to be a player of the year and you let me know when that happens because I've been hearing that for the last three years now. And I'm not, not a big fan of Luke May. Uh, I think he's maybe the third best player on their team. But uh, their two freshmen, Kobe White and Nas Little, are, are definitely the engine of the team. I don't think they let Nas Little get or make it as big of an impact as he could. I I know he was the MVP of Jordan Brand Classic, and he might even have been the MVP of the McDonald's All-American game. Um, he's just a really, really, really good energy bringer that is just – he just knows how to play basketball, uh, and he, he doesn't get a chance to do that yet. I know Roy likes to bring freshmen along kind of slowly, but like he's throwing Kobe White underneath the fire, so I don't see why he can't do the same thing with Nas Little. Um, but I still think they're going to figure it out. They do, unfortunately, have actually fortunately, I should say, have a pretty tough schedule coming up. They got to play Gonzaga, they got to play Kentucky and Davidson uh, in the month of December. Kentucky and Gonzaga are back-to-back games, actually, so that's <laughs> that's going to be fun to watch. Um, but I don't. Although right now they're struggling, and it feels good to be a Duke fan, it's. I don't think it's going to last. They they should turn it around pretty soon. Yeah, I mean they're far too good offensively and defensively. Um, I think they're going to come back and absolutely destroy UNC Wilmington um, on the home court, and then then that's when they get to the Gonzaga Kentucky game. Good news about that back to back thing is it's a, um, a week apart. And they play Gonzaga at home, and then Kentucky on a neutral court. So, and they should be done with finals, so they 
stretch, just basketball time, and that North Carolina-Kentucky game, which is the 22nd, setting up for a heck of a matchup. Yeah, um, not like they take finals anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a good point, actually. I didn't even think that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said something. Because <laughs> if I said it, it would just sound like I was rude or something. Yeah, <laughs> I know what happens with college, <laughs> college athletics. Um, but... Yeah, I think the the UNC Gonzaga game or Kentucky game is gonna be a lot of fun just because they both and the Gonzaga game. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, but Kentucky UNC is gonna be up and down. They may one team may get to the hundreds. It's just gonna be uh, a lot of scoring for sure. The way Kentucky's playing is probably not gonna be them, but we'll get to that at a later date as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kentucky's an interesting team. Um, but yeah, that's my I, second favorite team. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they go two and zero against Gonzaga and Kentucky. I really, really like Gonzaga, um, but I think UNC just has a ton of weapons. Um, I think their biggest downfall is their lack of diversity in scoring. Um, they really love to get in transition and score easy buckets. Um, love to get into the paint. Um, they they struggle with three point shooting, which um, kind of surprising me with the team with Luke May um, and Cameron Johnson. But and especially the way Kobe White's been shooting it, I think they should be a lot better than they are. I, I mean, they don't get many points from, from the three-point line, which I think they're leaving a lot of points out there. And then um, they really um, – like we were saying earlier, someone scores. If someone gets two fouls in the first half, they're going to play the entire rest of the first half, basically. Um, because they, they do have a relatively short bench. A lot of guys will play, but not many play a ton of minutes. Um, yeah, most of the guys they're playing are going to be big guys off the bench. That, well, I guess Seventh Woods plays a decent amount, but... Just the way that Roy Williams likes to do it, he'll play four to five big guys and just consistently rotate them. Um, just, I guess, kind of to protect them from fouls, but also because he doesn't really have a center that stands out amongst the rest. So it's kind of like a center by committee. Yeah, and he, he really trusts Luke May, Cameron Johnson, and Kenny Williams to, to play a huge chunk of their minutes. Um, so, and even Kobe White. So, I mean, the other spot is just a rotation for sure. Um, But, yeah, I mean, their struggles in um, three-point land, I mean, they're not shooting a bad percentage. 37% isn't bad at all. Um, It's definitely above average, but I just think they have the capability of being one of the best shooting teams in the ACC, and they need to start taking advantage of it a little more. What do you think? Yeah, it seems like they've only had one guy be hot. Uh, per game so far and I mean they have four guys that can get red hot in the three-point line so at some point I think a few of those guys are going to be hot the same night and that's when you really don't want to play them and I'm sure it'll be when they play Duke because that's how it happens every single year but I mean they're they're talented they somehow Michigan State and North Carolina are the two teams that when you score on them they have a better chance of getting a transition bucket than you would have ever believed. Like they take the ball out of the net so fast and get down the court so fast, it blows my mind. But you have to be 
your defense has to be good when you play a team like North Carolina. So um, I think they're going to get it going. I think they're going to start to make more shots. I mean, they are still making a decent amount of threes so far, but I guarantee you they make plenty to come the rest of the year. Um, I think still that they're the third best team in the ACC behind Virginia and Duke, but being the third best team in the ACC is equivalent to like a two seed the NCAA tournament. So yeah, yeah, and once their three point, I mean their three point shooting is going to come around. I think they'll score more points there. I think they need to defend a little bit better, though. I will say that I think they're not playing nearly as capable as normal. Uh, I mean. Roy Williams benched the entire starting lineup against Michigan coming out of halftime for like a solid six minutes, just had a couple walk-ons on the court and they honestly did better. Um, they, if they don't defend, they're going to have serious problems because I mean, it's tough to beat a team in, in college when you just are giving up easy shots. Yeah. I, but I think they, I mean, they're, they're rated pretty solid defensively. Um, but with their with their size and length, I mean they're the fifteenth ranked size team wise, in as far as height goes, that of guys that play. I mean their starting lineup is all over six five. Um, it's they, they have a ton of size and length that should help them come around defensively and really come into a team similar to to Virginia um, once they are, all start to gel together. For sure. Um, do you want to keep going on this, on your favorite team? Hell no. Let's go to the better color blue. <laughs> so that transitions us into to one and only university. Yeah. Um, crazy. Just to start with this, that they got was it one, two, three, and ten recruits <laughs> yep. um, for this year. And. Trey Jones is too damn low at 10. I already told you I'm going to talk about it every single time we say Duke, but that's way too freaking low for Trey Jones. Yeah, I mean, I think just because he's not that flashy. Yeah, he's not not athletic, really. Not doesn't do anything awesome, but the kid has, I think, a 5-1. to one, Actually, before they just dominated their last game, he had a 5-1 to one assist to turnover ratio, and I'm sure that got better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's a great distributor um just seems to always make the right play um yeah i'm a big fan of trey jones as well you've been talking about him since he re- he committed um and it shows that he i mean he's unbelievable um, as far as the floor general so he i, I think he really takes duke as far as they're gonna go mm-hmm He's like he's the biggest. Him and Cam, we said it last last, last week. Um, those two guys are are huge for Duke because um, RJ is going to get his points. Maybe not as efficiently as possible as he won't be as consistent, efficient wise. Um, Zion, I mean, he's just going to get his dunks. He's going to get his rebounds. But Trey and Cam have to be consistent for them to be a Final Four team. Yeah, I mean, I have no fears about Trey doing anything ever. Like, he blew my mind in the Indiana game. You said specifically it was up to Trey and Cam because RJ and Zion would get canceled out by Morgan and uh, and Romeo Langford. But Trey Jones had 15, 8, and 5 in that game uh, with zero turnovers. So in the last two games, Trey has 15 assists and zero turnovers. From a true freshman point guard, 
playing with the guys he's playing with, throwing the lobs he's throwing and all that stuff. Like I would expect a few bad passes or something, but not the case. Um, Trey's awesome. I can't ever say enough about Trey Jones. I think he's one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard in college basketball. He's just, I thought Tyus was awesome. Tyus is like one of the most clutch players I've ever seen play college basketball. Uh, and Trey's more of the same. Trey honestly might be better than his brother already. Um, but Zion, I think everyone knows what they're going to get with him. It's a highlight waiting to happen. He's bringing a ton of energy. He's going to give you everything he's got. I remember, uh, can't tell you the exact game, but Duke was up 40-something, and Zion was diving on a loose ball in the backcourt after causing the point guard to dribble off his foot. And that's If you watched Duke play last year, they couldn't stop a nosebleed. So to have that this year is a very nice change of pace. Um, RJ played awesome defense on Romeo Langford against Indiana last week. Uh, held him with 13 points on 3 of 15 shooting and 0 of 4 from 3. You know how I feel about Langford, so there's no way I would have ever predicted that to happen. Uh, but the one thing that I do want to say is some apparently some Duke fans got on R.J. Barrett pretty bad after the Gonzaga loss where he missed. I think he was 0 for 4 in the last minute himself. Um, he took some aggressive takes to the hole, trying to hit the game winner or tie up the game, and was blocked a few times and missed a couple, uh, which honestly I don't have a problem with. I would have. I personally would have wanted the ball in Trey Jones's hands so he could have made the play. One, because I think the team's better that way. But uh, Coach K came out and said to stop saying anything to RJ because he he wouldn't have the situation any other way because he wants his best player to go get the ball and go win the game. And he thought it was awesome what RJ did, so on and so forth. And RJ responded by having two huge games the last two games. Uh, it seems like he's kind of got re-energized by that. So to have a, a good RJ, a consistent Zion, and the solidest point guard in the world, in my opinion, in Trey Jones is crazy. And I promise you at some point, Cam Reddish is going to go bananas, and that's when Duke's going to be close to unbeatable. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for Cam to sort of show what he can do. I think he's turned into an underrated freshman now because of almost like how Devin Booker in Kentucky kind of got overshadowed by Cat and um, all those guys. Um, Cam's going to have sort of a breakout game here soon. Yeah, last they played Stetson on Saturday, and Cam was able to play. Duke was up like 40 in halftime. So they, like Zion and RJ only played less than 20 minutes, I think like 17 or something. But uh, Cam was able to get a few extra minutes in the second half, and I think he hit like his last three threes and started to look kind of normal. He, it's got to be tough to be. You're, he's coming from obviously being the best player in his high school team and being just a flat out stud and everyone's go to guy to now being with the ball in his hands at least the fourth option because Trey is going to have the ball in his hands way more than uh, than Cam will. So. It's going to be an adjustment period for him, but for Duke to win a national title, Cameron Reddish has to be an awesome three-point shooter, or else I don't think they can win the title. Yeah, uh, he he has to come up huge in, in one tournament game because there's going to be a game where RJ and Zion aren't aren't themselves, aren't doing what they normally do, and Cam's going to have to carry him. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast with freshmen, especially in the tournament. Um, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not hitting your shots. 
you don't have the experience of the tournament, it's going to be tough to get yourself going. So Cam definitely has to be huge for them. And I think I think uh, Jack White has to be big for them as well. Um, he's really one of the only um, guys who comes off the bench with any sort of experience outside of um, Marquise Bolden and Delorier. Um, I think he has to be huge for them. He's a great defender, um, can hit an open three, especially a corner three. Yeah, thank God. Um, which is huge for them. So Jack White is definitely a key as well, just the ultimate glue guy. Yeah, Jack's been awesome so far. And at first it kind of seemed like it was a little bit of an anomaly, but now it seems more like the norm. Uh that it's just going to keep up that whole season. Hopefully it does. But the one thing I just want to say before we go on to bigger and better, if there is such a thing, uh, uh, but uh, um, I think I said it a little bit, but Duke's defense this year has been pretty special. I would like to – do you have any numbers on their defense? Yeah, I mean, they're um, ranked seventh. This is before the Stetson game. Didn't really include that. Um, they only gave up 49 points, so it's not like it changed too much. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're giving up 91 points per 100 possessions. That's pretty good, right? I mean, that's close close to Virginia good. Yeah. I, I mean, they're ranked seventh. So, ranked seventh yeah, so, defensively and second offensively. I mean, they haven't – they've played a few – like, Kentucky's – going to be a good offensive team. Probably they weren't yet when they played Duke. Uh, Auburn's going to be a decent offensive team. Gonzaga is a really good offensive team, and Duke struggled to defend them until late in the game. Uh, but Indiana is a pretty solid offensive team. They only give up 70 to them. So, I mean, I even though Duke's always going to be in a high-scoring game, I think, because Duke loves to get out and run. Obviously, why wouldn't you with RJ and Zion? Um, so, the other team's going to have a ton of possessions every time, but I think their their defense has been incredible so far. Marquise Bolden is dominating the paint uh, with blocks. And RJ, it seems like whenever they play a big-time player like Romeo Langford, he just picks his game up to a different level, um, which is why, like I said initially, Duke's going to beat some good teams, and they're going to make you say, holy Jesus, what is this team? Like when they played Kentucky and all that. But they're also going to lose some games. It's like, what the heck? Like, how, where did that come from? just because I don't think they will all be locked in all the time. And first of all, they're four freshmen, so you kind of can expect that. Second of all, you get all this hype. You're bound, to, you're bound to let it get in your head a little bit every now and again. But when they have to turn it on, I think they are the best team in the country. Yeah, um, talent-wise, for sure. I don't. It's hard to find four guys, like the four freshmen that they have on one team. Um but what worries me a little bit with them is their free throw shooting. It's horrible. Um, yeah, it's just flat out bad. And they shoot a lot of them. Yeah, it's not like they're struggling to get there. Um, they just can't hit them. I mean, shooting 65%. And it's not like they have a big clunky center that gets a, a <laughs> ton of attempts. It's just no one's good. I think Alex O'Connell... And Cam are really the only. Yeah, and Alex O'Connell's probably shot like twenty, six. and they've all been in garbage minutes. He's shot. He's taken six free throws. 
Yeah, twenty was way over. Yeah, um, but Cam is the only one in seventy percent or higher that has double digit free throw shots. So, um, I mean, seventy six percent isn't even that good, and he's their best free throw shooter by far, um, which is scary. Yeah, I think I don't know. I mean, RJ shoots the most, obviously, and doesn't have a great jump shot, so you wouldn't expect it to translate. He's kind of got the LeBron, the LeBron gene in that way. Um, but ideally, the ball will be in Trey's hands, and we won't have to worry about any of that. <laughs> yeah, but even him, he's only taking eighteen, and he's shooting sixty-seven percent. So yeah, I promise you, though, if the game's on the line, he's making both. <laughs> we'll hold you to that. <laughs> Point blank period. All right, so you want to before we go to the NBA, you want to do our college picks? Yeah, let's uh, our locks, you, locks. You yeah, right. He's dark because I still have to confirm. That. All right. So since last week, although we didn't pick the greatest Big Ten ACC challenge uh, results, we did go three and one. I went one and one. Michael went two and zero oh in our in our best bets. Um, so. This week, uh, we're going to go 4 0. I'm going to hold you to that, Michael. I'm definitely going to pick it up, promise. But uh, so we're, we're going to pick some games, probably mostly tomorrow's games. Uh, and the game I'm going to go with in college is going to be a team we kind of briefly touched on, but Michigan against Northwestern. I know Michigan's on the road, but they're only favored by six and a half. I know Northwestern's a solid team. We talked about it already uh, a little bit last week when we broke them down briefly, but Michigan favored by six and a half against a team that probably isn't a tournament team this year is like giving candy to a baby. If you ask me, so I'm rocking with Michigan and that awesome defense followed with the awesome offense and they're tough to beat. Yeah, I saw that and I, I almost was thinking about uh, picking Northwestern to cover just because it could be an emotional letdown for Michigan. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Michigan's just too good. Um, the pick I'm gonna do, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in the Big Ten. Uh, I'm gonna say Indiana um, covers the two and a half. They're playing Indiana yeah, well, State. I looked at that one too, but I can't pick against Penn State since Virginia Tech just did that to me. Yeah, but I think Penn State—they're a team that, like you said, if you shut down. Um, What's his name now? Lamar uh, Stevens. Yeah, you sh- shut down Stevens. Um, you have you can beat them pretty easily. Um, they're sort of as he goes, and I think Indiana's a good defensive team, despite giving up ninety to Duke. Um, yeah, but that's honestly still decent defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean everyone gives up ninety to Duke, um, unless they give up a hundred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah I like Indiana here to bounce back from that from that tough loss to Duke and um, Langford to really go off here yeah I'll just throw just an extra one just because why not since I lost last week Uh, but West Virginia is at home against Florida Um, or no they're not they're in the garden sorry but still uh, I think Florida this year somehow has three losses, even though I thought they were going to be a pretty good team. Um, they lost to Florida State pretty really bad. And day one, they lost to Oklahoma. And they've also lost to Butler, who's not that great. Uh, so West Virginia favored by one right there, I think, is 
pretty safe also. That's just an extra bonus for you. Yeah, bonus pick of the week. Yep, I'm sure it'll lose, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Doesn't count my record. Ha <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll go to break here and then come back and start talking about the NBA. All right, so we're going to start covering the NBA. Like last week, we're going to do one East, East Conference team and one Western Conference team. Uh, we're going to start in the East since there was news there. Um, we'll start with Chicago Bulls and Fred Hoiberg getting fired. What was your initial reaction? Yeah, I mean – I personally didn't see the fit coming out of college for Fred Hoiberg, uh, known as the mayor in Iowa State. I thought that was an awesome fit for him. He was really solid there. Iowa State was awesome when he was there. Um, I don't know. To me, that's like an ideal situation to be called the mayor of your own freaking town and be a head coach in Division One basketball and your team makes the tournament every year. Like That's awesome. But I do understand the allure of the NBA. I mean, who doesn't want to go coach at the highest level? Um, I just didn't think it was a good fit from day one. Uh, and then obviously the results haven't really been there. Um, I don't know if I can really put it all on Hoiberg. I haven't honestly watched enough Bulls to say like, wow, he's an awful NBA coach. But uh, when you don't have results, you're kind of <laughs> you're either gone or something's changing. Uh, and I don't know. I, I guess I understand the move for sure. Um, and I think it's interesting that it comes at the time of, marketing coming back healthy and going with their interim coach now because they kind of have basically said they want their interim coach to now be the full-time head coach and that's the expectation moving forward so I think they're trying to give him every opportunity to succeed and that's why this Hoiberg move comes now yeah I mean it was a weird hire simply because it was um, basically a veteran team when he came in and He's coming from coaching 18 to 22-year-olds. Um, just really thought it was a, a weird hire at the time. It really showed it during the Jimmy Butler saga there, with him trying to balance Derrick Rose and Jimmy Butler's ego. Um, really showed that he, he couldn't handle that kind of thing, um, let it get pretty ugly. Um, luckily, Gar Foreman and Paxson, what looked like a terrible trade at first sort of turned out pretty decent. Um, just getting marketing and the loan back, and then Levine has been playing really well this year. Um, so, I, I like, like you said, I certainly understand that they gave him a fair shake. Four years out of the five years they of his deal uh, made sense to sort of let him go now. I was just confused on the full commitment to the interim coach so quickly. Yeah. Um, didn't really – I mean, I'm sure he's a great coach. I don't know much about um, Boylan, but um, it, I thought it was weird to sort of pigeonhole themselves into their next head coach already. Um, they're a team that isn't going to the playoffs anytime soon. Um, so I, I would have – just let him coach the rest of the year and then evaluate your options in the offseason. Um, don't know why they. Yeah, and that, it's not like they're bringing in a new coach either. Like, he's on the bench anyways, and Hoiberg's there. So, unless their philosophies are so drastically different, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because why would they be on the same staff if that was the case? So, like, I don't know. I think you'd have his voice there anyways. But one thing I did want to point out that I told you earlier, but. 
Um, Paxton's been the the dobo, as I like to say, or director of basketball operations for the Bulls for since what two thousand three? We said, yep. And he's been a part of hiring seven coaches in that time. I don't know. Usually, when when new coaches are hired, not every time, obviously, but frequently, there's a new GM, new like front office, some positions at least uh, to go along with the head coach, and they're kind of both paired together. So it just seems kind of interesting that one guy will be a part of seven head coaching hires in such a short period of time. Yeah, and to be fair to Fred Hoiberg, I mean, he had a different roster nearly every year. Um, I mean, when you're dealing with guys like Rondo, Dwayne Wade, um, Jimmy Yeah, Bowen, that didn't make any sense at all to begin with. Yeah. And the fact that they not one player could shoot. I mean, the roster never matched Fred Hoiberg. Um he makes more sense at a team like Atlanta, Orlando, where there's young guys. It's not a huge market. Um, he can develop them. I think he's a great play, player development type of guy. I mean, look at Lloyd Marketing, look at Zach Levine. Um, these guys are outperforming their expectations for sure. I was especially low on Marketing just simply because dude doesn't rebound at seven foot. Um, but, I mean, he's been playing really well in the NBA. I just think it was a weird weird fit overall. Um, but moving forward now, what do you see their future like? Yeah, I mean, they're really young. They have pieces. Like, I mean, obviously I feel very strongly about Wendell Carter Jr. I think he's awesome. I also am a Zach Levine fan. I know a lot of people criticize that contract that he got this offseason, but I do think he's a really solid NBA player and, I think he's a pretty good fit right now in Chicago. He's like their only go-to guy almost. Um, with marketing coming back, I think that's awesome. Going to help him a ton. Uh, Chris Dunn, still solid. Like they, they have pieces. It's just a matter of getting the right fit, putting everything together. And I think this year is going to be a big learning experience for everyone. Uh, I guess since they're going to rock with this coach, they're going to have to kind of get the philosophies and figure everything out there. And then hopefully have another good draft and, they're already well on their way to a rebuild. Yeah, like you said, they got some good pieces there. Um, I still think they're the one big piece away. Um, down the road, obviously, not like they, they signed Durant this offseason and their championship content, contending team. But I think Wendell Carter is just going to be an Al Horford-type player um, yep. as far as impact, not necessarily style of play. Um I think Zach Levine is just going to be a good scorer. Uh, he sort of struggles on defense, struggles a little bit with playmaking, does not struggle with confidence. Um, <laughs> or athleticism. Yeah. No, seriously, he's he's a freak athlete. Um, I think if this team eventually turns into a playoff contending team, I can see him more as a six-man to really bring in the offense of James Harden on the Thunder Jamal Crawford type player um, where he just really has to focus on running the offense and getting it going. Um, Chris Dunn, I think, is just a solid role player with just outstanding defense. Um, They need to get rid of campaign. Um, (laughs) He had his time. You know plenty about that. He is – I remember a quote from – it was either uh, – Gar or John Paxton, um, 
that they knew campaign wasn't an NBA player the second practice they had him. <laughs> um, it's never a good thing when he was the main package in the trade. Um, he just really – he's not as athletic as everyone else. Um, his shot is inconsistent, and he's very heavily left-handed. Um, so I, I just I just don't see him – I like Shaq Harrison um, a lot better. <laughs> and I don't think he's their fourth point guard. Um, there's just much better players on the team, and he's somehow getting – um, lots and lots of minutes. Um, yeah, I like marketing. I like Wendell Carter. I like that front court for sure. Um, I just think they're they're a few picks away. Yeah, but next this year is a heck of a time to be in the middle of a rebuild because you, if you're in the top couple picks, you're almost guaranteed to get a stud. Yeah, and at the same token, I think if you are in the end of the lottery, sort of mid to late first round, you're kind of stuck. Um, yeah, I don't see many. I don't see this class as deep as at least last year's. Last year, yeah. Um, but I guess it's it's funny that we have forgotten to talk about one Duke player, uh, Jabari <laughs> I Parker. Other, I got my other Duke player in. Jabari broke my heart, kind of, but I don't know. I I I think he got a lot of money. To be honest, I think Jabari is a really good. I think he's a solid NBA role player. Um. But I don't think he's a superstar NBA player or even like really really good NBA player. Uh, he's he's always going to be hunting his own jump shot, and I think while that might work this year on the Bulls team, when I I don't think Jabari the way he's playing right now can be a, a huge part of the Bulls' future. No, no, he he can't be just simply because his defense. Um, it was bad in Milwaukee, um, but it is really, really bad now. He just doesn't try. Um, I don't know if I don't know if it's effort or just his defensive IQ just isn't there. Um, he just doesn't rotate, doesn't get to um, like the rotations are just so bad. One on one, he's I mean he's better than his help side, but it's still not good. Uh, there's just a lot of holes in his game. I think he'll be in the NBA for a while, but he'll just always be sort of a negative player simply to his defense, unless he really changes that. I don't see him a part of their plans after after next year. Yeah, I think he needs to just be able to come off the bench, second unit, just go score. Like, don't, don't worry about anything else. Just try to provide some points while the, the starters are resting for a little while. Yeah, I mean, he's almost like um, Carmelo Anthony in his 30s. Like, just yeah. poor shot and selection and bad defense. That's part of the problem with them right now because their two best players, Zach, well, two best scorers, Zach Levine and uh, Jabari, we just both said it should be six man type people. So you can see why they're 5 and 19 right now. Yeah. And it's a tough loss losing Bobby Portis and Denzel Valentine for the year. I think Portis is out for the year. Um, um, but, or actually, sorry, he's actually on pace for contact next week. Sorry. <laughs> um, but losing Valentine for the rest of the year, he's interesting because he's a playmaker um, with size. 
uh, he has that sort of winning mentality. Um, I know you're not the biggest fan of him, but I think he's an interesting piece on a on a good team for sure. Yeah, I, I just wish he would be a little bit better of a shot maker occasionally because I think when you're he's I think he needs to have the ball in his hands a lot to be successful. And I wish he would just have, have a little bit better of a shot or more consistent shot at least. But I think he's a solid basketball player and definitely can help an NBA team. Yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. I just hope he gets healthy. Um, I know he has left ankles um, surgery. Uh, what was it last week? So he's been hurt a couple times since he's been in the league already, which is kind of concerning to me when young guys start getting hurt so frequently. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not great. But um, a guy that I really really like um, that's on a two way two way deal for Chicago's Raleigh Alkins. Sorry, Brooklyn boy. Yeah, he is had an awesome summer league. Um, played really well in preseason. Um, really like him as a um, sort of a two-way, almost a wing. He's he's only six five, um, but I really like him. Almost like a a young Wesley Matthews. Um, just has yeah. To, I was gonna say I was gonna say Marcus Smart, kind of, somewhat similar. Yeah, just has to improve his shot a little bit more. But man, is he. It's fun in transition, good defender. I think, I think he can be good for them um, if he can play a little bit more than the two-way contract. Um, sort of play play his way in, like Alonzo Trier has done. Um, I like him a lot, uh, but I think that's enough on Chicago. You got anything else to add on them? Um, I mean, just I can't. I guess I, this is kind of unfair to him to throw this out there, but. I was never really too high on Jalen Hutchinson this year in this draft. I thought this draft was loaded, um, and I thought there was a lot of potential to get really good picks late in the draft, late in the first round at least. And while I don't think he's like a bust or anything, I just thought the Bulls could have gotten at least a little bit better value uh, where they picked. And obviously we still have a long way to go to see if Chandler is going to be a solid NBA player or not, but I, don't know, I would have just liked to see someone else there to pair with Wendell. Yeah, I mean, guys that came after Chandler Hutchinson, um, Aaron Holland, Aaron Holiday's been playing well. Although Chicago didn't need a point guard, and they didn't need another Holiday. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I thought Robert Williams. Uh, I guess with Wendell Carter being picked, you didn't need him. Landry Shamit's been playing really, really well. That was a great pick by Philly. Um, I guess, I mean, I, yeah, I wasn't really that high on him either, but looking at wings after him, um, I, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of Melvin Frazier. Um, I know he hasn't played a ton. Um, Hamadou Diallo, who has been playing really well for OKC and had somehow, his leg bent the way it did and only came out with a minor sprain, which was yep. incredible. Um, DeAnthony Melton, uh, I know he's a point guard, but that guy, it'd be fun to see him and Chris Dunn defend the backcourt together. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess they did all right with the, the best sort of wing available at that point. But, yeah, like you said, not a huge believer in um, Chandler Hutchinson. I think he'll be a good player, but 
um, not going to be a huge part of their of their future if they're getting to playoffs anytime soon. Um, yeah, so let's switch up and talk about a team that I think nailed their draft picks to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> well, well, the one that hasn't played a ton yet, I think, will be good eventually. So we're we're talking about the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, they've been probably the biggest surprise of the West thus far, as far as where they rank right now. Um, they've just been fun to watch this year. Finally, Tobias Harris has got recognized as <laughs> Player of the Month. Um, guys have been performing for the past, has it been seven years, six years? Um, yeah, pretty just, much. Just plays really well. Goes out and does his work. Um, doesn't talk much outside having that, that show with Boban. Which is awesome. Yeah, it's it's a fun, fun watch with those two guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's in my top five most underrated, especially at the small forward position. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, I did play on the same, well, <laughs> same affiliate AU team. Um and got to play against him, and he's a guy that you look at and you're like, he doesn't do anything special, but always puts the ball in the bucket and just does his work. Um, really blue-collar type of player. Um, him and Gallinari, I love that pairing. Uh, Gallinari brings range um, and playmaking. And then um, having Gortat, I mean, I think that was a huge trade for them. Get rid of sort of that toxic relationship, having a coach and a son on a team. I wasn't a fan of that. Um, I think it was a big different, big ch- uh, change for their culture. Um, and then Pat Beverly, he does a lot for that team. Um, I just, overall, they're insanely good on defense. Him and Avery Bradley in the um, backcourt. Then you want to talk a little bit about Shea? Yeah, I mean, Shea, I said this last week, I think, but Shea's really, really solid. Uh, he, His long arms, his playmaking ability, this kid showed up at Kentucky last year and nobody thought he was even going to play, let alone like have an impact. And he turned into a lottery pick and honestly – could have easily been the first point guard taken. I think right now people are kind of thinking he probably should have been the first point guard taken. Um, but he's obviously not a great shot maker yet. Uh, his jump shot could use a little bit of work, but if you looked at De'Aaron Fox and the transition he made from year one to year two with his jump shot, I wouldn't be surprised if Shea can do the same thing. Um his defense, though, and his athleticism, his length, his playmaking ability, those are things that are just huge and going to help him for a long time. Um, I mean, when you read the name Shea, Patrick Beverly, Avery Bradley, uh, Sundarius Thornwell, Montrez Harrell, that's just like a list of people I would never want to guard me ever because <laughs> I wouldn't be able to move. Um, and that's they're all on the same team. Uh, I think there's something to be said for getting rid of DeAndre and getting rid of Austin Rivers and guys like that. Not that they're bad basketball players or anything, but they they don't always bring 
all the energy in the world and they're not great defenders and they're not the toughest people. So to just add all this toughness and, and energy every single night, there's a reason the Clippers found themselves top of the West, uh, loaded West so far. Obviously still a long way to go, but if they just keep playing the way they are, they shouldn't have a problem being somewhere in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the almost as a playoff lock, even this early. Um, just because, like you said, the energy is there. Um, they, it seems like the, all these guys get along really well. Um, and we really haven't even talked about their, I would say, their second best player, uh, Lou Williams. Yep. He comes off the bench and really dominates second units, um, gets to where he wants to get in the court and can hit any shot you, you tell him to. Uh I really like him. And a guy who's been playing sort of out of his mind right now that's going on the radar, I think, is Mike Scott. I mean, this dude. Emoji man. <laughs> he uh, he plays really well. I think he can hit open shots. He can create shots. Um, he's listed at 6'8", but he's probably 6'6". Six, six. Um, I think he, he can get rebounds over anybody. Um, I really like him. And Montres Harrell is another guy in my top 10 is most underrated. He's just an absolute monster and menace um, in the paint. He, I mean, his energy alone is going to just outwork anybody in the NBA. Yeah, Montres Harrell putting a jersey on is good for like six rebounds in four minutes. Uh Fitting, we talk about Mike Scott, and today we talk about Virginia also. But right. yeah, I mean, Lou Williams is like if you think of guys off the bench that just score, probably Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford are the first two that come to your mind. Um, and then I think Avery Bradley, who was written off by a lot of people the last couple of years because kind of once he left Boston, he was almost invisible. I think he's really started to resurrect himself. Uh, at least the last couple of weeks, he started to make jump shots again, and he's always going to be a good defender. So I think if he can kind of get his confidence back and start playing like the normal Avery Bradley, I think this team can go from really good to great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think Doc has been sort of revitalized with this with this team. Um, it felt like when he had CP, Blake, and DeAndre um, – kind of got stagnant with his innovations and running his offense. Um, I think with this lineup, he has a lot of flexibility because he's got guys like Tobias, Lou Williams, Gallinari, um, Milos Tadosic. I mean, these kind of guys that are um, really versatile in offense and then has the luxury of having guys like Pat, um, Avery Bradley, Shea, um, Gortat, I mean, you guys get solid, solid defense, Montres Harrell. Um, I think Doc has been really good this year, um, and I've always – I've criticized Doc quite a few years now um, because of his stagnation with his with that Clippers team and never reaching their full potential. But um, when he gets a young team, a young, energized team like he had in Boston, um, I think he does really well with those type of teams. So I really like this team. I think their ceiling right now is a second round exit. Um, 
that's still impressive in the West. Yeah, I mean, simply because they're going to run into a Warriors team in the second round, or they're going to run into a Thunder, or um, I think Rockets will eventually turn it around. Uh, yeah. A team like that, that just has more star power in it. But Yeah, and you talked about a two-way guy in the Bulls, so let me throw on a two-way guy in the Clippers, and Angel Delgado from Seton Hall, who I liked in college a lot. Um, he's doesn't have the same energy level that Montrose Harold does, but if you want to talk about a guy that wants to go get a rebound, that's your guy right there. If you got to get a rebound, Angel Delgado could play 30 seconds and he'll get you at least two or three of them. So he just fits that style already pretty perfectly. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he ever gets any run with them. Yeah. I mean, I think they have two really solid two way guys at Jonathan Motley. Um, I think those two guys are, just double-doubles, walking double-doubles there. Um, Motley's been playing really well for the... Uh, Agua Caliente. Agua Caliente Clippers. <laughs> Which translates to hot water, in case anyone was wondering. That's unreal that that's a thing. Yeah. Think, Please watch the G League, because they obviously need some creativity with their names. The G League has, has been really good this year. I mean, Clip, um, sorry, the, the Wizards... Um, recently got the go-go capital city go-go capital city go-go that's right um yeah they're i think by 2020 every team will have an affiliate um and really good competition and a quick um shout out to anthony bennett in the g league had a 36 <laughs> night. the other night um eight threes looks like he actually likes basketball now um <laughs> and i think if he gets another shot, I mean, he's only 25. He's still he's still freakishly athletic, big dude, but now has a confident jump shot. I think he could be really good for a team. In all seriousness, if, you, if you're if you a college basketball fan, at least follow the G League on Twitter, Instagram, or something, because I have a lot of fun every day scrolling through, seeing all the guys I watched in college have big nights in the G League. It seems like the guys that – Usually the guys that you know are the guys that are having the biggest night. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of the um, sort of college um, All-Americans that maybe play all four years and they come in or waiting for their NBA shot that are really leading the leading the G League. But it's definitely a fun league to watch for sure. Lots of scoring. Yeah, there's many, many points scored. <laughs> um, but I think that wraps up. You want to do our uh, our locks for NBA? One thing I'm going to do before we do that is just do a quick for both the Bulls and Clippers. What prospect do you think would fit in the best for either one for both teams? I mean, hmm. All right. Well, so with the Bulls, they're going to be in the top couple, um, and I think they need shooting and a playmaker. Uh, so I, I guess I could throw Romeo Langford in there for them. I like that. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I can see Langford fitting in, fitting in well there. Um, for me, I would say I think they need sort of energy, heart type of player. Um, and I think Zion would fit in well there. Yeah, I mean, who the heck doesn't he fit in with, if we're going to be honest? But – um, I think he fits a glaring need. I don't think, like we said, Hutchinson isn't going to be the, the answer. Um, 
but I like him fitting in with um, Zach Levine, Wendell Carter, Marketing, those type of guys that sort of might need a little more defensive cover, a little more heart, a little hustle um, type of guy. Um, now with the Clippers, that one's a little tougher. Um, let's see. Looking at it, how about what if I give you DeAndre Hunter? Ooh, I don't think he'd be around by that. Um, but boy, would I love to see that. Because, right, I mean, also we have to look. I don't know if they have their pick. Um, but regardless of that, um, I do like DeAndre Hunter there a lot. That would be an insane, <laughs> insane lineup if they had Pat Beverly, Avery Bradley, and DeAndre Hunter all out there at once. <laughs> yeah, that's not fun at all, especially when you have, like, Harrell and somebody else. And then just put Tobias there to score, and good luck. Um, what I, A guy that I would like to see there, um, I think you like this, is uh, Bruno Fernando. Sure. Um, I think or Jalen Smith. Have either one. <laughs> I think if they had a big that could score, um, an athletic big that Shea could grow with, um, I think would make a lot of sense for them. Yeah, Bruno's Bruno's the type of guy that wherever he goes, he's going to be decent because he's just always going to bring energy and make a lot of dunks and ignite the crowd. So he can help anybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, let's get into our our locks. All right, so we'll be picking games tomorrow. Um, and I'm going to go with the Spurs that are plus six in Utah. No, Utah's a tough place to play, and they're starting to kind of sort of click a little bit, maybe. Um, but I don't know. I just, I think the Spurs are, I know they're only 11 and 12, but I really like the Spurs team a lot. I can't believe a lot of people didn't pick them to make the playoffs this year. I thought that was very surprising to me. Um, but I'm going to go with the Spurs plus six against Utah. Yeah, and Lonnie Walker's on his way back, which I'm excited for. I really like that kid. Hopefully um, he gets a haircut. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's got to talk to Alfred Payton's barber. Yeah, seriously. How much better did he get when he cut his hair? <laughs> he didn't start getting blocked by his own hair. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I think this is the easiest pick of the night. Um, Sacramento minus six and a half one of the, against, <laughs> against a bad Phoenix team. Um, Probably without Devin Booker, right? Yeah, it's question. He's questionable. Um, Holding hamstring, I doubt they put him back in so soon. Yeah, and Sacramento's been one of the best teams on the road this year. Um, so just a a small six and a half point favorite, I think. If you can get that without Devin Booker, hurry up. <laughs> yeah, put that down as fast as you can because that's that's I think that's the easiest pick of the night. Um, yeah, so those are those are our locks. Um, All right, so now we're gonna do a new thing that we just recently thought of, um, where we kind of we're gonna design a trade each week. Uh, not that necessarily is going to happen, or like that we're predicting should happen or anything, but something we think that could potentially work out for two teams. Um, it might be switching star players. It might be flopping some role guys around. Um, but just things that, like, if we had the job of GM, we might do to try to improve our team. Uh, so Michael's going to kick it off. 
Yeah, so I'll start with the NBA. Um, I'm gonna. Um, I now I have not told Zach this pick, this trade, um, so it'll be news to him as well. Um, but my um, pick surrounds the Pelicans and the Washington Wizards. All right. Um, so my the Washington Wizards will be receiving. Um, Nikolo Mirotic, Solomon Hill, Wesley Johnson, um, and Frank Jackson for hey, Duke guy. <laughs> Bradley Beal and Tomas Sadaransky. All right, so Mirotic, Solomon Hill, Wesley Johnson, Wesley Johnson. All right. Um, well, first off, on the Pelicans, Mirotic has been awesome this so far this year. But I, not that I think it's a fluke. I just don't think that it's going to continue the way it has. So I think if you could take advantage of his super play so far and steal Bradley Beal uh, to, to try to hopefully keep Anthony Davis and ignore those calls for him to go to the Lakers, um, I love that, I think, if I'm the Pelicans. And if I'm the Wizards and I'm ready to – to change things up because uh, obviously right now stuff isn't working in the last couple of years. Um, Bradley Beal's a player that if I'm the Wizards, I have a kind of a hard time getting rid of because he's young. He's on a decent contract. Um, I think I'd, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I think I'd try to get rid of John Wall if I was trading anyone just because his contract's about to be massive in the coming years. Um, but I don't. I, I'm pretty sure the city of D, you know this better than anyone. The city of DC would probably riot if John Wall ever got traded. So I don't think that could work. Um, but I think I would do it if I'm both teams. Like I think the the Wizards would get back not exactly like awesome players, but they have enough game to to go along with John Wall um, and. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad trade at all. Yeah, I mean, my thinking behind it is um, Bradley Beal is making uh, $25 million a year. That's a lot for the next three years, well, two and a half years. Um, Miritich, he's going to be a free agent after the year. Um, so if he comes in and clicks right away, um, you can re-sign him. Um if not, you clear some space off the cap. Um, same with Wesley Johnson. Solomon Hill and Frank Jackson have an additional year, um, but Solomon Hill's only making $12 million. Um, Frank's making one and a half. Um, and you get rid of Sadaransky. Um, that's a tougher loss um, than the casual NBA fan would realize. Um but I just really think they need a complete change in Washington. Um, you're going to have to build around John Wall. Just no one's going to take that contract. Yeah. I mean, it's kicking in close to $50 million. I, I think like in four yeah. or five years. Yeah. It's easy. He gets 45 million in the last two to three years. Um, that's a ton of money. Um, and just looking at, um, so Quick shout out to NBA Math. Um, I use their stats to sort of compare the the trade. Um, looking at what the 
Um, offensive points added. Miritich adds about 34 points um, to his team when he's on the floor. Um, same with Bradley Beal. They both add about 34. Um, 34.35 exactly for Miritich and 34.22. So almost identical on the offensive side. Um, both are negative defensively. Um, Bradley Beal is negative 20.53, whereas Miritich is negative 22.4. Um, so total points added. Bradley Beal is slightly better uh, at positive 13, just about 14. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're essentially a wash on production on the floor. Um, it just gives the Wizards some salary relief. Um, for the Pelicans, I would love to see sort of a lineup of Alfred Payton, Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday with Julius Randle and Anthony Davis. I think that's a really good mix of defense and offense and sort of take some pressure off um, Drew Holiday for backcourt scoring because I think sometimes he feels the pressure and has to go get a bucket and sometimes can't. So having a guy like Bradley Beal and just adding another shooter like him um, is always helpful. Yeah, for sure. The Wizards would probably hold out for a pick. Um, if I'm the Pelicans, I would try to push this trade, but worst comes to worst, just a top 10 protected first rounder next year. I mean, even top eight. I don't think this class is very deep, so... Um, just to sort of get this one done. I think Miritich is a great, great player, and I really like him a lot, especially his fit alongside Anthony Davis. Um, but it's tough with a guy like him in the playoffs. Um, not really a shot maker. or uh, He can't create his own shot, um, but really good shot maker. Uh, whereas Bradley Beal can basically get to a spot and make a shot anytime he wants. So, yeah, um, next we'll get to Zach. We'll take a short break, leave you sort of in in suspense for his (laughs) college trade. Um, So we will be right back. All right, so hopefully you're hanging on the edge of your seat to figure out who we're going to trade. Obviously, we can't make trades in college. That would be awesome if we could. Um, actually, it might not even be awesome. It might be pretty terrible, but it'll still be fun nonetheless. So this is a little bit different because obviously in college, some guys that are really good don't get a whole lot of run. Some guys that are really good get way, or not really good get way too much run. Um, so one guy that I've had my eye on for the last couple of years is P.J. Washington on Kentucky. Um, he got a decent amount of minutes last year. I think he played okay from time to time, but he definitely could have used this second year, which is what he's trying to do right now. Um, Unfortunately, he's not getting a ton of minutes, and when he does, he doesn't get a lot of opportunities out of it. So I'm I'm looking to trade uh, P.J. Washington off of Kentucky, and the team that came to mind was Virginia Tech because we had just talked about how they could use some size and some help in the paint. Um, So what do you think of Justin Robinson – to help Kentucky become a playmaker, have a playmaker and make some jump shots for PJ Washington to help the Gene Tech. Yeah, I, I like it. 
I think Robinson brings some some experience um, alongside Reed Travis, and definitely some obviously shooting. I mean, he's shooting nearly fifty percent on um, twenty nine attempts, so um, really can knock it down. Plays a ton of minutes. Um, can really make plays for others. Um, has a really high assist rate. He actually has a higher assist rate than Trey Jones. Um, so, shut up. <laughs> he he plays really well. Um, I think that would be it would make a lot of sense for Virginia Tech too, um, because outside of Blackshear, they don't have anyone over six five that plays. Uh, I guess Ty Outlaw's six six, but yeah, he doesn't count. <laughs> he doesn't um, play anywhere near the paint. Yeah, so I mean, you got a. A, a small team bringing PJ Washington, who I think is listed at what six ten. Uh, I have him at six eight, but he's a, between six eight and six ten for sure. Yeah, so I mean, brings size, brings playmaking. Um, and I that. think he would be really good in a situation where he actually is featured. I think he gets hidden in Kentucky, and you see that a lot with players that go to the NBA from Kentucky. It's like, wow, where the heck was that game in college? But they just don't really get the chance because they're with nine other five star players. Um, so I think at Virginia Tech, he would he could really be featured and be special. The only problem I have with my own trade is that uh, I have a hard time trading my best player at any point, and I think Virginia Tech would be trading their best player, whereas Kentucky would be trading a player that's kind of an afterthought and getting not afterthought, but not a significant uh, a player to their their current team. And so I kind of am uh, anxious doing that, but. I think it would definitely help both teams. I just think it's tough to lose your best player. Yeah, but I think getting in return P.J. Washington, um, he really can add a dynamic that I don't think Virginia Tech has had yeah. ever if, at any time. Um, yeah, I mean, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is probably the closest thing to a superstar they've had in a really long time. Yeah, so it would be interesting. Maybe Kentucky throws in an extra scholarship for him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Kentucky likes those things a lot. They might be able to throw in a couple of walk-ons because their bench is getting kind of long. But. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, um, let us know what you guys think about that that segment. Um, we'll try to do it each week. Just get you thinking. Um, it also shows you kind of how we think with like what we think about players and where we think they can make impacts and all that kind of stuff. It's more about our philosophy than it is about things that should happen or will happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so one more quick short break, and we'll come back with our final segment, um, diving into a quick study about choking. We'll be right back. All right, so following with last week's study on rivalry, um, a study that I personally find really fascinating is is choking in sports. Um I just think it's amazing to watch players at such elite levels often perform pretty poorly in clutch situations. And you think to yourself, like, how could that possibly happen when they're so good at what they do? Um, So just to kind of give you a little bit of insight into why it happens and also an interesting way to, to not let it happen and a way that you will not be thinking is possible. So first of all, um, choking, Especially in sports, there's two different ways choking can happen. 
One way is outside of sports, one way is inside of sports. So I'm going to focus more on inside sports, obviously, since we're a basketball podcast. Um, but choking in elite level settings happens because athletes focus internally on what they're doing, like what their process is. So take free throw shooting, for example. If you're shooting free throws and you're down by one with 10 seconds left, you're thinking about the mechanics of your jump shot, where your elbow is, um, all that kind of stuff, like what you're looking at, uh, knee, your knees bending, how much you're squatting into the shot, all everything you could think about with your jump shot, all the step-by-step procedures. So you're catching the ball, you're spinning it, you're squatting down, you're moving your elbow up into your jump shot, and then you're following through. You think about that as a step-by-step process. Um, that's bad. You're not supposed to do that because at elite levels, all of those processes are automatic. You don't even have to think about your jump shot. I'm sure if you've played basketball before, you catch the ball, you're just shooting it. You're not thinking about anything. And usually when you do that, it goes in. So that's how choking happens in elite level settings in sports. And now the way to stop that from happening is to actually distract yourself. So I would have never thought that before I learned it. But if <laughs> this is actually funny to me because every single college game I've ever been to, you watch every single student behind the basket trying to distract a player from making a free throw, right? But in reality, by distracting the player from thinking about his step-by-step processing, you're actually helping him make a shot under pressure. So if your favorite team or favorite college or your college where you go to, whatever, if they are distracting a player while they're shooting, you're probably going to lose the game. So that's unfortunate. But I'm actually part of that. I've distracted people on Virginia last week, so that was probably my fault. <laughs> I think that's very interesting. and. Um something that I've heard crowds do. Um, I'm not sure if they're familiar with their study or not, but um, they yell out what the player is doing on the free throw line. So they'll say <laughs> dribble, dribble, spin, bend, like things like that. So I wonder if yeah. if they actually have, are familiar with the study or they're just trying to be funny. Um, Working either way. Yeah. So very interesting study. Um, don't got much, too much more to add to that. Um, Sorry for the lengthy pod here, um, but we're going to finish up next week. Going to move on to the Big Ten. Um, leave you with a teaser there um, <laughs> and get into a little bit more about the NBA. Um, but let us know what you think. Um, leave us some comments so we can give you something more entertaining next week. Um, any last thoughts, Zach? No, we're good. Thanks for listening. and. Uh... See you back here next week. Yep. Here's DJ Zenas to, to end the show.